And now, get growing with Farmer Fred. Talk 650 and KSTE.com. Here is Fred Hoffman. Happy Sunday morning to you. Welcome to Get Growing on Talk 650 KSTE. Farmer Fred here. Fred Hoffman, UC Cooperative Extension Lifetime Master Gardener, Garden Columnist with the Lodi News Sentinel. The guy that does all the typing at FarmerFred.com. All the ranting at the Farmer Fred Ramp blog page at Twitter.com slash tips. Lots of snark. The, uh, where else? The Get Growing with Farmer Fred Facebook page where there's always a garden dialogue going on. And uh, YouTube, Pinterest, Instagram, it's there. Knock yourself out. All right. Did I mention email? Yeah, you can even email me garden questions at fred at farmerfred.com. And, of course, on this uh, uh, very electric radio garden show, you can call us, too, because Brooks likes answering the phones there in the control room. 576-1578 in the 916-576-1578 or toll-free 866 866- Three three one eight two five five. A little bit later on, Garden Grappler, a chance for you to pick up a prize or two from the Farmer Fred Prize Closet. A little bit later on in the program, we will, uh, besides having the Garden Grappler, also uh, have a sneak preview of the Harvest Festival coming to Cal Expo next Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. But in the meantime, from Fair Oaks Boulevard Nursery at the corner of Fair Oaks and Mission, the manager, Quentin Young, is with us. Also a master gardener. He runs the orchard. Well, one of the runners. Co. The orchard. Co-runner. Yes, yes, with Vicky Marie. Yes, that's right. It's a it's a um, socialist operation out there <laughs> where everybody participates. Yes. At the uh, orchard at the Fair Oaks Horticulture Center, which is uh, a, a wonderful place to visit. Now, un- unfortunately, it's behind a locked gate. It's only open during the monthly workshops or on harvest day in august and quentin the next workshop is not till not till january january yeah but you can you can go to the water efficient landscape that's always open right that Mm -hmm. front part right and you can see the uh, backyard orchard culture orchard uh behind the lock gate exactly so you can see the fact that there are a lot of fruit trees and nut trees back there's no nut trees back there there is uh one almond tree on the fruit salad tree okay all right but for the most part um, all they're all fruit trees that have been maintained at a height of six or seven feet. Exactly, yeah. So it makes it a lot easier if you need to uh, spray the tree or prune the tree or pick uh, the fruit from the tree. Yes. A lot of people don't know. You just uh, sort of implied uh, that, uh, and a lot of people don't know that the almond, which is a nut, is in fact a fruit tree. Yeah, in the prunus. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so it's on a, it's on a, we have a graft of it on a fruit salad tree of other prunus varieties so there's peaches nectarines and plums and an almond <laughs> and an almond <laughs> okay that that's very interesting that i don't know how the almond made it as a as a fruit tree but basically it is a prunus yeah yeah prunus dulcis if yeah. i recall correctly the um and what sort of care do almond trees need this time of year that's a good question okay i'll give you one <laughs> Clean up underneath clean to, up. to yeah. uh, keep uh, the spread of the navel orange worm in check. Okay. And don't ask me why a navel orange worm attacks almonds, but they do. We And it's funny because we don't really get any almonds off of it. The squirrels do. Oh, now when I lived in Harold, the crows got them. Yeah. So, yeah. I But that's the beauty of maintaining a six-foot or a seven-foot uh, tree that is, in insurance parlance, an attractive nuisance for our four-legged friends or our flying friends, and that is you can net it. It's easier to net, yes. And uh, 
does netting stop a squirrel? It can. If and they secure. use netting, yeah, they use netting up in the vineyard for the grapes to mm-hmm. pretend, protect them from the turkeys, wild turkeys. I would think, though, that with netting and critters that can scurry along the ground, that netting needs to be secured. All the way to the ground. All the way to the ground. Yes. And something else that uh, needs to go all the way to the ground that a lot of people forget about are the frost cloths for your citrus trees or your tender plants that you're covering with frost cloth. Yes. And let, we're coming up to that season where, yeah, there probably will be some 32-degree temperatures or below sometime this month in the next uh, 16 or 18 days. And uh, it historically, it's always happened here in Sacramento, usually around Thanksgiving, that the temperatures get down to around 32 degrees, and it's usually a surprise because it's the first one of the season. There was a few years ago when it actually got down to 28 degrees, and it was for like four hours or more. Yeah, so technically it was a hard hard that, freeze. That's a yeah. hard freeze. Yeah. And, yeah, a lot of people lost young citrus trees. And those are the ones that are most vulnerable to frosts and freezes, isn't it, the younger yes, trees? Yeah, and, you know, we always recommend starting around the beginning of November, you have your frost protection plan in place. What is your frost protection plan? So for me, like for me at home, it's just making sure that you have all your frost cloths ready mm-hmm. and that you have a good weather app so that you know that you can, you know, look at it on a regular basis to see what the weekly low is going to be. Um, at the Horticulture Center, it's a matter of um, having our frost protection, our Christmas tree lights, our frost row covers, having those out and ready to be deployed and having a frost cover team. And then at the nursery, um, we usually relocate all of our citrus trees to a different part of the nursery so that we can cover them uh, with a frost cloth on a nightly basis. How important is it in staving off frost is soil saturation, especially Uh, for container plants? Making sure that everything's well watered is really crucial. So especially at a nursery where everything's in containers, small containers to boot, uh, I would think that on the afternoon before an overnight frost is forecast or freeze, that everybody gets an extra drink of water. Everybody gets an extra drink of water. And, um, you know, think about covering your things early. You want to try to trap some of that radiant heat from during the day. That's another tip I know University of Arizona has researched is how that frost cloth is draped over the tree. And they discovered in their research that that frost cloth needs to be secured at the outer edges of the tree, not tied or secured to the trunk of the tree. Right. In a perfect world. In a yeah. perfect world. In a perfect world. Yeah. Yes. So you need a big, bigger is better. Yeah. Bigger is better. And again, if if you come to the Hort Center, you'll see how we all, usually in October, we'll give the citrus trees a light pruning to make sure that they're sort of all uniform shape and easy to cover. Mm-hmm. And we, we, we want those frost cloths to go all the way to the ground. Describe your row of citrus. We've done this before, but I want to hear it again. Describe your row of citrus trees at the Fair Oaks Horticulture Center. Uh, I think there's about 15 or 16 in a row. Mm-hmm. They start sort of at the top of the hill and sort of go down a slope. It ends with a Rio Red grapefruit. Um, and they're all basically of the same uniform size. Um, they're all labeled by variety and by year that they're planted. They're about eight feet apart. Yeah, about eight feet apart. Yeah. Yeah. And they all look to be five or six feet tall. Yeah, about five or six feet tall. And then we'll use, um, we'll, we'll sort of, as a preemptive measure, we'll have them uh, strung with the old C6 or C7, I always forget, Christmas tree lights. Mm-hmm. C7 and C9. C7, C7 and C9, Christmas tree lights, um, pre, pre-strung. 
and then we'll, um, if need be, um, cover them with frost cloth. All right. So your first line of defense, I think, is watering them. Watering them. Yeah. The fact that they're a good established age. I think they're from. I'm drawing a blank on the year, but um, they're they're all well established. They're all well mulched. They're all well watered. Mm-hmm. And then you also have the bigger lights. The bigger lights. The bigger Christmas lights. Yeah. I think you could also get away with, uh, if you have an old 100-watt incandescent light bulb and a shop light. Yeah, that uh, would work. You could do that, too. Yeah, yeah. Underneath the plant, just to reflect upwards. Yeah, it'll give you a good three to five degrees of extra protection. Yeah. And then there's the frost cloth. The frost cloth. You, uh, any frost cloth that you can buy in a, in a good uh, nursery or hardware store. At the, at the Hort Center, we uh, use Agrivon. Uh, at the nursery, we sell uh, squares. I think they're about 12 by 10, um, which is good for most small citrus trees. Mm-hmm. And it, at home, um, I don't cover my uh, established orange trees or lemon trees. What are the warnings about people who want to cover their citrus trees with blankets? Uh, they're heavy. Um, they shut out light. And they're great in a pinch, but you're going to want to take them off every day. Yeah. The, the nice thing about frost cloth is you can leave it on for five to seven days at a time. And because it allows air and water to permeate. And light, yeah. And light. And light, yeah. yeah. And there are different weight frost cloths, though. Yeah, there are. You know, so I think at the Hort Center, we use Agrabon 50. I think you donated that Agrabon 75. Yeah, it was a yeah. heavy-duty one. Yeah, yeah and that, that would be really great in, uh, in a pinch. And you could also reuse them as, um, you know, floating row covers in the spring. Right, yeah. You know. Yeah, the one I purchased, I purchased online uh, from Amazon, and it was in a, I think, a 500-foot roll. <laughs> it was just a little bit more than I could use. Yeah. But at the time, I, I did actually get through about half of it. Yeah. But yeah. as you point out, it would make good floating row covers, yeah. especially if you're planting a, a cool-season garden, and or especially strawberries, Yeah. And, and cover those to keep the snails out. And and they in, in a pinch, too, they also work as a, um, uh, you know, sunburn protection. Oh, and we have those 170-degree days. For your tomato plants or pepper plants. Your tomato plants or pepper plants, we also used it to cover, um, to protect the avocado and the guavas and the uh, atamoyas, the experimental tropical plants, because most of those are understory plants. So mm-hmm. every, it does double duty, whereas a, a quilt or a towel or a blanket, um, like I said, in a pinch will work, but long-term, they're, they're not as useful. Right. So go shop. Shopping for frost cloths this week to be prepared for frosts and freezes in the weeks ahead, especially during December and January here. All right, we'll take a short break. When we come back, we'll delve into the email that you've been sending to Fred at FarmerFred.com as we continue with Get Growing on Talk 650 KSTE and KSTE.com. Get Growing continues with Farmer Fred. Talk 650 KSTE. Here again, Fred Hoffman. Don't forget, if you have a garden question, you can call us 576-1578 in the 916 area code or toll-free 866-331-8255. And, of course, email that you can send to fred at farmerfred.com. I say we because my guest today, Master Gardener, and manager of Fair Oaks Boulevard Nursery, Quentin Young, is with us, world traveler. He brought some uh, Asian vegetables with him that I certainly have never heard of. Maybe you have, maybe you haven't. We'll talk about those in a few minutes as well that are cool. These are all cool season Asian vegetables, Yes, that's too. the nice thing that you get your second garden going. Yeah, there's a lot of things people can plant this time of year. It's not just the time to 
watch your tomato plants slowly die. No, uh, and even if you don't want to do vegetables, do a cover crop. Yep, yep, that's what I did. Uh, had three bare beds and put in uh, fava beans, crimson clover, oat grass, and something else. I did pretty Buckwheat. much the same thing, yeah. yeah. I've got fava beans, crimson clover, a cover crop mix from Renee's garden, mm-hmm. and I just put in some onion sets. Yeah, yeah. This is yeah. This is the time of year to be thinking about next year what yeah. you're going to be harvesting, and what is available in, in the way of uh, those underground crops right now. Uh, let's see: carrots, beets, radishes, parsnips, turnips, all things, a lot of things like that. You still have garlic. Uh, yeah, garlic, shallots, and onion sets are a great time to get those in. All right, and what basically d- just put them in and leave them alone. What garlic varieties do you have? I think we've got probably in Kellyum Red. We've got probably. Th- Three different varieties left now. Okay. And probably a silver skin, too. Silver skin, yeah. 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 And these are the soft neck varieties. Right. Uh, the Enkelium Red, very popular, has a, a, a unique garlic flavor. Yeah, it's got a little bit of a bite to it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. and But it is. It's uh, very tasty and, and very productive, too. And I, I planted uh, music garlic this year. So that's the first time for that. So we'll see how that comes out. And onion sets. Onion sets uh, can be very confusing for people in that uh, in a lot of places they sell them as a six pack all these thin little blades that are coming up and for the tra- yeah the six pack for the yeah. transplants yeah, yeah. and they're in that little six pack there could easily be 50 onions or more yes and so when you plant those how far apart do you space them you could probably do them depending on how you want to harvest them i would do them probably at least 2 to 6 inches apart yeah to get a bigger bulb yeah yeah. And then, you know, a lot of times you can thin them throughout the year and use them sort of as scallions mm-hmm. and pull them out. Yeah. Yeah. But there is a, a particular edible called a scallion. Yeah. And the, 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 the green bunching onions, you don't have to separate. I would just plant those. If they come in a six pack, I would just stick those in the ground and then you sort of thin them out throughout the year. Right. For as you need them on a meal by meal basis. Exactly. Yeah. This is actually this is kind of a, a fun time to have that cool season vegetable garden because it. The greens do so well here in the cool seasons between, say, September and April. Yeah. That if you're if you're a big fan of salads, there's just so many greens available that do well here. You can be going out every afternoon and picking your salad for dinner. Exactly. Yeah. And it's uh, very tasty. That's why. I'm, and to start it too, if you if you're a seed starting type of person, uh, start some new lettuce seed maybe every two weeks or three weeks or so. Yeah, the lettuces, the chards, the kales, all those grow really well from seed. Beets grow really well from seed, radishes, all that. Mm -hmm. And if you don't want to do that, there are cool season vegetables available at every nursery from now through they run out of space. Yeah, and mix them. You know, you can grow a lot of these in containers. You don't need to put them in the ground. They don't need a lot of root space. Mm -hmm. Um, Mix them with flowers, things like pansies and violas or calendula. So you get sort of double duty pots that look nice and you can still pick things out of them and eat them. Even if all you have is an apartment with a sunny patio, you could be growing some cool season vegetables. Easy, very easy to do. Yeah, in large pots. As long as the people below you don't mind water dripping down. There you go. Yeah. All right, let's delve into the email you've been sending to Fred at FarmerFred.com. And uh, who is this? Diane asks, uh, I have a question about my little Ollie olive tree. It's 14 feet wide, 14 feet tall. Do I have to wait for spring before pruning it? It has a bumper crop of small olives. Should I thin it out next year? Olives, what do you know? Uh, I would wait till after. I would do delayed winter pruning. Okay, so on the cusp of spring. Yeah. So yeah. sometime in March. Yeah, you don't want a lot of those fresh cuts when the, winter's, when the water's splashing around. All right, is that what olive knot 
might result from? Yes. Okay. Yeah. And there's a really good UCIPM. Um, if you want to Google that, you can get a lot of information on that. Yeah. If you just Google the phrase UCIPM, which stands for Integrated Pest Management, or UCANR, uh, and olives, uh, it should pop up. Yep. Now, the, the big confusion is when you do that sort of Internet search, are you going to get the home garden page or the farm page? And the farm page can be a little bit uh, daunting because it does list all sorts of active chemicals that could be used, whereas the home garden page is more user-friendly yeah. as far as uh, how to take care of them in your backyard. So if you're concerned about that, what you would Google would be either UCIPM or UCANR, ANR standing for Ag and Natural Resources, and the word, say, olives, and then the word home garden. Yeah. And that should hopefully direct you to the right page. The other key I have discovered, too, with doing Internet searches for information like this is make sure it's the current information because there can be some old information up there that uh, – because, as we know, Farmer Fred Garden Rule number 7, everything you know is wrong, and it changes. Changes all the time. Yeah, so recommendations change. So make sure that you have the most current uh, information in front of you. Current and local. Yeah, current, yeah. local, and current – might be anything within the last four years, maybe. I would be very suspicious of anything if you're reading it online and it was dated before 2010, just because things change. Things change, yeah. yeah. That's right. the good thing about university research. Well, the bad thing about university research is they don't get rid of the old pages that are on the Internet. That's true. So but you, yeah. you, you can stumble across those every now and then, too. And then they start talking about diazinon or whatever. Yeah. All right. Um, here's another question from uh, Shirley, who writes in, I have a large pot that I'm considering planting a little john in. The I think by little john, she doesn't mean a small toilet. I think she means the little john bottle, bottle brush. brush. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, the pot faces the west. It gets full sun starting around 2 p.m. I looked online and found that it requires full sun. Will this exposure work for its light needs? I like that the water needs and the extended flowering season it has and that it's evergreen. What do you think? Um, yes, but the watering needs would be a little bit misleading because it's in a container. It's going to need regular water from you. So that's going to be different if, if you had had it in the ground. Right. So as long as you've got it either on an irrigation system or you're there to water on a regular basis, um, in a container when it gets mature, it's going to probably need water every day. In, yeah, in the summer. Yeah, so just spring. keep that in mind. Yeah. yeah. Um, this time of year, it really depends on the rain. Yeah. And if, if this pot does have exposure to the rain. Yeah. Sometimes these pots are under overhangs. And then keep in mind, too, with the Little Johns, if you have the pot on the ground, at some point you're going to want to check and make sure that it hasn't rooted through the hole into the ground. Now, I notice in my daily dog walks around Folsom, the Little John bottle brush is a very popular landscape plant. It is a popular landscape plant, but it's not as small as some people would lead you to think. So it's often sold as a shrub that'll be two by two. Mm, um, bigger than that. But by by the five-year mark, it's going to be closer to, you know, five by five. Yeah. Uh, the ones I usually see around Folsom, three by three, four by four maybe. Uh, but, yeah, when they're younger, they are smaller. But even for a bottle brush, four or five feet is small. Yes. Yeah. Because bottle brush. So just keep that in mind in the context of the size of your pot. If you have the room and you like bees, bottle brush is an excellent plant as a privacy screen. Not the Little John, but your standard uh, Callistemon citrinus yeah. plants that can get 8 or 10 feet tall. They're evergreen, 
and you plant them five, six, seven feet apart, and you're going to have a privacy screen very soon buzzing with activity. Yes, bees like it. Yeah, excellent plant for bees. Uh, it's part of the my windbreak out in Harold when I had that property there. We had the delta winds that were always coming in, and I had three rows of plants, a short row, a middle row, and a tall row, and the middle row was uh, the bottle brush at 10 feet. The tall row were Coast Redwoods because everything we know is wrong. <laughs> but at the time... At the time, it seemed a, like a good plant. It was a popular plant, yes. I won't even tell you what was in the smaller front row. All right, I'll tell you. It was pompous grass. <sighs> yeah, yeah. Everything you know is wrong, but yeah. in 1990, hey, hey everybody's... Grass. Yeah, 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 yeah. Boy, does it spread like crazy when those things flower and... Seeds fly. You have to use a flamethrower and basically a backhoe to get rid of them. Yeah. Fortunately, they do come out of the ground fairly easily. So that that's the good news with pompous grass. But I don't think you'll find a nursery around that sells it. No, it's it's listed as an, an uh, invasive species now. Yeah. There are similar plants that also are kind of thug-like, too, in their aggressiveness, too. Scotch broom. Scotch broom, think a major. There's there's a there's a list, yeah. you know, and there is an organization that does work with nurseries to try to get them to stop carrying these products. Yeah, I think it's called the Invasive Plant Council or something. Probably, like yeah, that. yeah. yeah. Uh, Quentin Young is here from Fair Oaks Boulevard Nursery. Got a garden question? Give us a call five seven six one five seven eight or toll free eight six six three three one eight two five five. When we come back, let's uh, let's talk. We've talked about frost protection. We've talked about. Uh, Christmas tree, sort of. I think maybe a little bit more talk about Christmas tree Let's care. talk about Christmas trees. Okay, and maybe some other holiday plants. Okay. Because uh, I bet poinsettias are going to be arriving soon. Yes. <laughs> All right, we'll talk about that when we come back to get growing on Talk 650 KSTE. You're listening to Get Growing with Farmer Fred. Talk 650 KSTE. Here again, Fred Hoffman. And my guest, Quentin Young from Fair Oaks Boulevard Nursery. He's the manager out there, also a Sacramento County Master Gardener. And we're answering your gardening questions that you phone in to 576-1578 here in the 916 area code or toll-free 866-331-8255 or email that you send to fred at farmerfred.com. Or you could post it at the Get Growing with Farmer Fred Facebook page if I remember to look at it today. Uh, holiday time is is rapidly approaching. You could tell that because every store has their Christmas decorations up by now, if they haven't already been up since Labor Day. But uh, at the nursery, not any different. And the uh, holiday plants are coming in. And at Fair Oaks Boulevard Nursery, Quentin, uh, we talked earlier about Christmas trees. But you guys take it one more step. It's not just, yeah, here's a Christmas tree, buy it. You you take it the another length. Oh yeah. I mean they're they're um they're hand washed every day. They're in they're in fresh water the minute they get to the nursery with a fresh cut. Um they come with the stand in the bowl. We bring them into your house for you. Um so yeah, it's it's a pretty elaborate setup. And like I said, they're they're literally hand cleaned. Each tree is hand cleaned. Stand and all. Stand and all. You bring yeah. it in. Yeah. All right. And you fill it in with your own magic water? No, the <laughs> customers do with that, yeah. But they said they last a long time. That's what we're known for. All right. And they're noble furs? Noble furs, yes. Okay. And, uh, and we talked about, too, that you have living Christmas trees there Living Christmas well. trees, yeah, yeah. Yeah. If you want to do like a dwarf Alberta spruce or a Colorado blue spruce, yeah. The other plants coming in that, I mean, if you're shopping for a gardener for the holiday season, um, you know, 
Christmas trees are okay, but golly gee, I'd like something I could eat. Yeah. And you mentioned that coming in this week will be the first of the uh, supplies of bare root fruiting vines. Yeah, not just the vines, but also the, you know, the blueberries, things like that. Yeah. So we're getting um, our gallon liners from Dave Wilson Nursery. So they're sort of a good, um, I like the gallon liners because they hold longer mm-hmm. on like a bare root tree or something that you have, you know, if, let's say if you want to give it to somebody as a gift, they better have a spot ready for it. Yeah. These these you can leave leave in the liners for at least a couple months. Explain to people what that one gallon liner is. It's basically it looks like a sort of long um, kind of like a, a milk carton. Almost. Yeah, like a milk carton, yeah. black plastic. It's about maybe twelve inches deep, um, fairly narrow. Um, and so we've got blueberries, raspberries, blackberries, figs, pomegranates, grapes, things like that coming in. Cool. They'll be here actually. I think tomorrow. And um, the blueberry varieties, I would think, would be Southern High Bush for the oh, most Southern part. Oh, Southern High Bush, yeah. I, I, I pretty much pick every variety myself for a specific reason, mm-hmm. either because they're a popular, uh, popular with uh, homeowners or they're productive for a homeowner or easy care. But everything that we carry, I handpick. All right, then that brings up the question. I know if my wife wasn't playing golf and was listening, she would want to know, which are the B- Southern High Bush blueberry varieties with the biggest blueberries? Boy, Emerald is a good one. Star, Jubilee, Reveille, they're all good. Okay. Yeah. Well, some are more precocious than others as far as producing berries, but they tend to be smaller some berries. Some be smaller, like yeah. Like the Misty. Like the Misty, yeah. yeah. But, okay, so the Emerald, the, uh, I can't read my own writing, and Jubilee. And Reveille. Reveille is a really good, really popular one. All right. What was the one that begins S-A-T? Star. Star. S-T-A-R, Fred. That's why you couldn't read it. All right, there. Wrote it down. Did my homework. And it wouldn't be Christmas without poinsettia plants. That is true. They're coming in soon, too. Poinsettia care. Uh, Let's see. Keep them on the dry side. Keep them away from foot traffic. You know, in terms, well, you know, <laughs> you, people, they, they don't have the strongest stems. Oh. So, you know, don't put them in a spot where people are going to be walking into them. The, the stems break real easily. Mm, okay. So on a table off to the side. Yeah. Not yeah. in a narrow hallway. Yeah. For we're example. getting knocked over by dogs or kids, that sort of thing. Yeah. Don't put them next to a fireplace, that sort of thing. Don't keep them. You can keep them outside for short periods, but they're not going to like weather below, let's say, 40 degrees. And they're not going to want to be rained on. They're weeds in Southern California, to give you an idea of their winter hardiness, which means they're not very hardy at all. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. So I've it, seen a few poinsettia shrubs in San Francisco. Yeah, that's, that's mild. About, but that's they have that maritime climate. You're not yes. going to be able to do that up here. Yeah, it's amazing. In visiting my daughter down in Ventura, I actually saw a poinsettia tree. Yeah, they were, <laughs> they're, and they're really cool looking. You know? yeah. And we'll have a, a lot of different varieties, um, a lot of different colors, mm-hmm. as well as things like cyclamen. Christmas cactus, all that stuff. Yeah, a little bit later on, we'll talk about some of the plants you brought with us. If people are looking for edible holiday gifts, you've got some cool season vegetables you brought along that a lot of people may not be aware of. I certainly wasn't as far as these Asian vegetables that you found yep. that you had to do some hunting to find. Yeah, yeah, I try to bring on, in all, and then don't forget seeds, too. That's right, yeah. yeah. I, there are. What are the seeds you could toss in the ground right now? Any of the lettuces, mm-hmm. the chards, the kales, you could do radishes, you could do beets, you could do parsnips, turnips, 
um, salsify, that's mm-hmm. another one. Mustard? Mustard greens, yeah. yeah, all of that. Yeah. The rat tail radish, remember that one I had you try? Oh, yes. Yeah. yes. You can plant those now. All right, that's right up there in taste with the prunus mume. There you go. <laughs> all right. The, uh, there's just so much you can plant now. Is it a little too late, though, to plant seeds for a cover crop? Uh, I don't think so. Okay. Yeah, I would put them down. The, what, the days are still warm. Yeah, they are. And yeah. so, as I pointed out earlier, over on the KFBK Garden Show, soil temperatures right now in our area are running at 58, 59 degrees, and that's fine. Most soil activity doesn't slow down until temperatures drop below 50 yeah. as far as the soil goes. And we've got, let's uh, let's see, crimson clover, white clover, uh, mustard, yellow mustard, mm-hmm. um, fava beans. We've got quite a vetch. Uh, buckwheat, we've got quite a few different things in the yeah, nursery yeah. in seed form. I did plant buckwheat, too. and I, I love fava beans just because it's just a gorgeous plant. Gorgeous plant, really nice flower. Yeah. The beans edible, the, the greens are edible, and even if you don't use them, you can um, just cut them down. Oh, now you've piqued my interest in raw fava bean leaves. There you go. Are they edible raw? Uh, yeah. Okay. And let me see if I can get you a recipe. Right. Well, I'll try it in a, in a salad since I got fava bean plants coming up. Now, for the best efficiency, if you are growing it as a cover crop, which means you're trying to feed more nitrogen to the soil, you want to cut down those fava beans and mix them into the ground before those flowers fully open. Yes. And as soon as you start seeing the flower buds, if if your goal is to increase the nitrogen of the soil, that pre-flowering stage is the point where you want to chop them into small pieces and then either work them into the ground or cover them up with mulch Yes, to keep that nitrogen in the soil. But if you want the beans, let them flower, let them grow, and then have fun digging those plants out come spring. Yeah. yeah. And by the way, when you harvest the beans, you want it to be a full family gathering because it takes a lot of people. It takes a lot of people, and you'd be surprised. You know, that's the funny thing about buying fava beans in the store, how much you're paying for uh, labor. Basically what you can't use because those pods are quite large. So yeah. that's the best thing about growing them yourself. Yes, peeling off those pods is work. Yeah. Yeah, but it is a, a tasty bean if you want to grow fava beans. So that is a good uh, cover crop to grow. Uh, getting back to poinsettia plants, they usually come wrapped in foil. Do you keep the foil around them or not? You can keep the foil around them, but just keep them. keep in mind that if you water them, and that foil doesn't drain, then they're going to be sitting in standing water, which is what they're not going to want. Right. And at what point do you decide what to do with that poinsettia plant? Uh, You know, I remember some of the master gardeners did an experiment. It's sort of a complicated experiment of keeping them in the closet for X Mm -hmm. amount of hours, for X amount of days. And at the end of the experiment, they decided it just really wasn't worth it. Um, So they just, you know... If you want to try to reuse your plant, um, good luck to you. But in general, most people um, will just toss them, yeah. put them in the recycling or, you know, compost, in, in yeah. your compost. Yeah. Yeah. Point the, the schedule for a poinsettia plant is rather demanding if you want it to get it to rebloom the following year. So sometime around March or April, after the all threat of frost and nighttime temperatures are above 45 or so, then you can set that plant outdoors in a, a fairly protected area with, with some shade, especially afternoon shade, and then bring it indoors the following October into a completely dark closet. If you tend to go into the closet, as most people do, to find stuff, uh, you've destroyed the 
period of darkness. Yeah, it's kind plant. of complicated. Yeah. yeah, so it's like it has to go into an area where there is no light, and you don't expect that area to see light. Yeah, I don't know what that would be, but uh, go ahead and try it if you want, or just buy new ones every year. That's probably the best way to go about it. There's just so much variety out there now. Yeah, and we'll have we'll have uh, quite a few different varieties, different colors. Yeah. And if you don't want to do poinsettias, you could do Christmas cactus. Oh, yeah. You could do the anthuriums. You know, there's a lot of different different options. Cyclamen, a lot of different options for uh, seasonal color. Different options for holiday plants. That we'll talk more about that when we come back to get growing on Talk Six Fifty KSTE. Get Growing continues with Farmer Fred. Talk 650 KSTE. Here again, Fred Hoffman. Garden Grappler coming up in just a few minutes. Clue available at FarmerFred.com. Just click on the link that says a clue for the Garden Grappler. You can go to the Get Growing with Farmer Fred Facebook page. I got a clue posted there as well. You could probably look out the window of your house and find an answer, too, for the Garden Grappler. Mm, But you may not know the name. I'll give you something to think about. That's the Garden Grappler in about 15 minutes here on Get Growing. In the meantime, Quentin Young, Fair Oaks Boulevard Nursery is here. Fair Oaks Boulevard Nursery, uh, talk a little bit about that. That's open seven days a week, isn't seven it? Seven days a week. We're on the corner of Fair Oaks and Mission between um, Arden and Eastern. Those are two main streets or main intersections. Winter hours? Uh, 830 to 5, seven days a week. Okay. Yeah. All right. And you're there I'm there pretty much five days a week, but once Christmas trees come, I'll be there seven days a week. Lucky you. Yeah. All right. Holiday plants. We talk poinsettias. We talk Christmas trees, both living and cut. Uh, You had mentioned in passing some of the other plants you have in now uh, for the time of the year, because this is the time of the year they do their things. And and one of them you brought with you is the anthurium. Yes, house plants. And yeah. the anthurium is a tropical plant. It's it's like you look at the plant, you think Hawaii. Yes, it's got that. The leaf looks like a a, a calla lily, and the flor- flowering part uh, just beautiful color. It looks like a bird's beak. I guess yes, you would describe yeah. it. And really shiny. It looks almost artificial. Yeah, but it's not. It's not no. Yeah, and most of your house plants are going to be tropical in background. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh, but this one especially has that tropical look to yes. it. Yeah, and it comes, like I said, you know, it used to be red and white. Now it comes in orange and pink, mm-hmm. and this is sort of a really interesting um, purplish red. Another plant, a holiday plant with a holiday name, uh, I don't know how tropical it is. Uh, I think it's a, a native of Mexico, is uh, Christmas cactus. Yeah, Christmas cactus, yeah. Schlumbergia. Yes. And uh, what, what's the story on that? Uh, same sort of... Uh, it's a really great holiday gift. Comes in a variety of colors. Uh, they bloom longer the the more regular that you water it. Um, I would try to protect it from a hard freeze, mm-hmm. but uh, it's a really easy care plant. Sunny um, window. Sunny window. Yeah. Or a covered porch or patio uh, makes a nice hanging plant too as well. And they come in a variety of colors and sizes. But you can't leave it outdoors all year, can I you? I wouldn't leave it out no. in the middle of winter if we have a hard frost or a freeze, and I would not put it in the full sun in Sacramento. Okay. And the, describe the size of the plant itself. Uh, so we'll have them in, let's say, quart containers. We'll have them in six-inch containers. Um, you know, basically that's about it. It's a fairly low-growing plant. Low-growing plant, yeah. yeah. And if you're going to replant it, replant it in a succulent mix. 
and it's great for indirect, bright indirect light, like most, like most succulents. And it blooms at Christmas time. It blooms at Christmas time around the holidays. Yes. All right. What else blooms at Christmas time? Uh, cyclamen, mm-hmm. primroses, pansies, calendula, all kinds of stuff like that. Yeah. Um, Sasanqua camellias. Oh yeah, they're yeah. in bloom now. Yeah, they're in right. blooming now. Yeah. And, and start thinking ahead now. Um, also think about winter daphne. That's what I was getting at. Yeah. Yeah. Show for the nose. Yeah. One of my favorites. Uh, usually blooms in January or February. Exactly. Yeah. So winter daphne. Um, start thinking about flowering quinces. Mm-hmm. Um, the prunus mume. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Let's. Uh, for those who weren't with us on the KFPK Garden Show, you brought some dried prunus mume, which yes. is sort of like a. Apri- is it an apricot? It's an apricot plum somewhere in the middle. Yeah, yeah. but it, it's been around for a long time. Generations. Generations, yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. I mentioned yeah. how uh, some farmers would use that in a phenological way in that when they saw that the prunus mume was blooming, that was their last best opportunity to apply a dormant spray to the rest of their orchards for other plants, other peach and nectarine plants, especially for peach leaf curl control because the prunus mume is one of the earliest of the blooming. Yeah, really pretty flower. I mean, you can see it. Uh, uh, I mean, it's been used uh, for a millennia in uh, Asian art, but it's a great, it's really surprising how early it blooms here. Mm-hmm. And is that is the plant available itself? The, 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 yeah, we have, I think, two or three at the nursery. Right now? Yeah, okay. yeah. And so I try to explain to customers, I mean, we'll sometimes have them in the fruit tree section, um, but it's a, it's a type of fruit tree that you have to be familiar with if you're going to be planting it, you know, to know what to do with the fruit. Oh, yeah, as far as... <laughs> as far It's as not a fruit that you sort of eat fresh out of the hand. It usually has to be preserved or salted or that sort of thing. What does it taste like fresh? Very sour. Okay. Yeah. So much like a... Uh, a an astringent um, uh, persimmon? Similar, yes, yeah. yeah. Okay. So you brought some of the resulted of, of salted and or dehydrated fruit with you. Yes. And there is a pit in the middle of it. It has a very unique flavor, he said politely. Yeah. It's, it, it's salty. It's sweet. It's bitter. Yeah, at the same time. Yeah. yeah it, it's really a roller coaster ride for the tongue as far as what it is. And you were saying that sort of like laced potatoes, chips, you can't just eat one. You can't. No. Uh-uh. I'd like to know how that becomes addictive, but... <laughs> you it, know, like I said, you got to give it some time. All right, yeah. well, I'll, I'll try another one later. But you said don't bite into it, just Right, because it, it does your, have a pit in there. Yeah, yeah. But so don't bite, but just put it in your mouth and roll it around for an hour or so. Yeah, okay. just sort of chew the fruit off and then spit it out. Yeah, okay, don't swallow the pit. All right, good advice right there for life. Don't swallow the pit. All right, so we've got the Christmas cactus, we've got the poinsettias, we've got all the annuals uh, that become perennials, like the cyclamen that we talked about that loves the shade. If you're looking for plants for the shade that are cool season bloomers, what are some others besides cyclamen? Uh, uh, Primroses. Primroses? Yeah. Okay, they like the shade. They like the shade. We're talking about just annual flowers. Right, yeah. 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 You know, again, depending on what the shade is, especially if you've dropped, if a lot of the trees have dropped your leaves, or drop the leaves. You know, you can get by with things like, um, let's see, some of the pallidosum daisies, mm-hmm. things like that. So I, I like the pallidosum daisies. They last a long time. Yeah, they do. Yeah. And then some of them make a good little ground cover. Yeah. So it's a, uh, yeah. Uh, what about stock? Does that need full sun? Uh, yeah, I would think so, yes. I think stock, and it's not a long-lasting plant, Yeah. but it's a really fragrant plant. Yeah, very fragrant. Another show for the nose. Yeah. Uh, that you may want to put next to a sunny doorway yes. uh, in a container. Yeah. For it has a really strong clove smell. It smells like grandma. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> All right. The, uh, the let's, let's do a, a quick uh, email question here that people have uh, sent in. 
Uh, Nancy writes in, I just love your show. Thank you for all your tips. I just purchased a Redleaf Barberry. Will it survive in my zone 9B yard with full afternoon sun but morning shade? It'll be planted next to the southwest corner of my house with southern exposure in the afternoon. Is it a hardy bar- barberry, that red barberry? Yes. Okay. So the red leaf barberry. Does the leaf color depend on the amount of sun it gets? Yeah, I would say, you know, that the, having it in afternoon sun will ensure that it keeps that uh, dark color. If you took a barberry, especially one of the purple-leafed ones, and planted it in a shady location, it might start to green up. I think the big warning on barberries is because it doesn't require much water, the other side of that double-edged sword is it doesn't like wet feet. That's true. It's a, and it's a very good water-efficient plant. All right. And yeah. it does come in a couple other colors now. You've got the crimson uh, pillar. Or I'm sorry, Hellman pillar has more of an orange. You've got orange rocket. Mm-hmm. Um, it comes in sort of a green chartreuse one as well. But it's a really great uh, water-efficient plant, good landscaping plant. I still don't understand the science of the barberry, how a plant can change the color of its leaf and not be deciduous. It will drop its leaves. Oh, now. it will? Yeah, yeah, okay. it is deciduous. All right, yeah. but d- doesn't it tend to maintain leaves year-round? Not here, no. Oh, okay. What am I thinking of then? Not sure. No, and me neither. It doesn't matter. And it does have the small edible fruit. Hmm, okay. Well, that's something to look up. We'll take a short break. Come back with the Garden Grappler, your chance to pick up a prize or two from the Farmer Fred Prize Closet. It's on the way in hour number two of Get Growing right here on Talk 650 KSTE. You're listening to Get Growing with Farmer Fred. Talk 650 KSTE. Here again, Fred Hoffman. All right. Hey, Brooks, you ready in there? All right. Brooks is at the board. He's ready to answer your calls with your answers to today's Garden Grappler. Quentin, are you ready? Yes. Good. Quentin Young, manager of Fair Oaks Boulevard Nursery, Sacramento County Master Gardener, is here. And uh, let's get this Gardener Grappler going. We've been talking about Christmas trees, living Christmas trees, cut Christmas trees. So a related question might be for you to name a conifer, but be specific. In other words, don't say, uh, yeah, pine. <clears throat> that won't do. You'd have to be specific as to the pine it was. But there is more than just pines. Name a conifer. All five callers get a prize. There's a bonus prize for caller five. And there's a secret bonus prize for an answer that only Quentin and I know between us. <laughs> I mean, you, you might know it too. But if, if you mention that particular answer, that particular tree, you'll get a special secret bonus prize. So name a conifer. The numbers to call in, 576-1578 in the 916 or toll-free 866-331-8255. 576-1578 in the 916 or toll-free 866-331-8255. Name a conifer. What's a conifer? Quentin Young has more information. Oh, you don't? Okay. Oh, I'm not supposed to give I'm, I'm supposed to tell people what conifer well, is. Define a conifer. Right? Uh, to me it's any sort of needle-leafed or scale-leafed, sometimes they're evergreen cone-bearing gymnosperm. Oh, I like that one clue you gave. I like that. That's nice. You can also get turpentine from them. There you go. <laughs> but, yeah, so a conifer basically is something that has sort of needles or scales generally. 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 Um, it also is uh, 
Cone bearing. Cone bearing, yeah. yeah. Generally. Generally. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> so name that. All right. 576-1578 or toll-free 866-331-8255. In the meantime, let's talk a little bit about uh, some of the plants you brought in with you today, including a lot of Asian cool season vegetables. Yes. All right. Let's uh, talk about this tall one that you brought in here. Okay. So that's a tree collard. Um, that one's not that's Asian. not Asian, but no, it's weird. No, yeah, and it's a tree collard. It is a perennial vegetable. It'll form usually a four to six foot stalk. Um, it's great if you're into um, uh, what's the word per- permaculture, because um, you can grow this sort of year round. It'll give you sort of the purple leafed collard leaves. Um, they're hard to find because they have to be grown from a cutting. Um, they don't often set seed, and when they do set seed, they're not true. Um, so they're a great plant to have in your garden. When is the best time to take a cutting of a tree collard? I would say in the spring. In the spring. Yeah. All right. And you okay. want at least a couple nodes, you know, to put below ground, that mm-hmm. sort of thing. Just like a rose cutting. Yeah, just like any other cutting, yeah. All right. And, uh, okay, so that that's not one of the Asian vegetables. Talk about some of the Asian cool season leafy greens. So we have kom- kom- komatsuna. That's a Japanese uh, mustard sort of uh, leafy green. Um, good for stir fries, for soups. Um, very easy to grow in this cool weather. Um, we also have the Honsai Tai, which is often called um, Gailan. And that's oh, another it's one. Okay. Yeah. All right. Again, you'll see this often at Asian markets or at farmers markets, and it's um, you eat the leaf, the stem, and the flower buds. Spell Hansai, whatever it was. H O N T S A I T A I. Okay. Han. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So there you go. <laughs> All right. Um, then I also brought. Let's see what else. I brought some um, broccoli rob. Mm-hmm. Um, that's in the turnip family or mustard family. So you'll see that sort of curly leaf. Um, the, although it's often mislabeled as broccoli, um, this you will uh, eat the leaves, the stems, and the undeveloped flower heads. Um, it has a nice mustardy flavor. Used a lot in Italian cooking. Uh, let us. What else? You have to get the the Jolly King. Winston oh yeah, the Good King Henry. This good is, King Henry. Yes. This is uh, called Fat Hen or um, Wild Spinach, and this is a good perennial. Um, good for uh, cooking, and let's see. This will probably get one to two feet tall. Perennial. Edible, edible raw. Edible. That's a good question. I don't know. Um, it's a spinach substitute, so I'm going to say it's probably cooked. Okay. Will it survive here year-round like that other spinach substitute that a lot of people... Uh, like the Malabar spinach? Malabar or New Zealand spinach. The New Zealand spinach. I'm going to say this is technically uh, a better perennial because the Malabar spinach and the New Zealand spinach are subtropical in nature. Mm-hmm. This is actually native to northern Europe. Oh. So I see it. <laughs> okay. I'm holding up better here. Yeah. yeah. And, maybe and up until probably maybe 100 years ago, 200 years ago, this was actually a really popular... Um, uh, sort of herb slash, slash vegetable, and it just fell out of favor. It's in the chenopod, so you'll see this. Um, other things that are called goosefoot, and then you'll also see amaranth and quinoa. Um, these are all in that sort of same family. And it was Good King Henry? Good King Henry. Good King Henry. Yeah, Google that one, Yeah, folks. Google that one, yeah. yeah. I don't, And I haven't been able <laughs> to find why it's called Good King Henry. Um, it's called fat hen because it was often used to fatten. It was a really popular food for chickens. Oh. Um, but wild spinach is its other name. Too. All right. So we better Benjamin again because now the ears of all those backyard chicken uh, raisers have, there you have, go. have popped their ears. And there you go. Well, what did he say was that green that chickens like? 
Good King Henry. Good King Henry. Yes. And then we brought Swiss chard. Yeah. And I think that was about it for uh, all those edibles. There was one other low-growing one buried in there somewhere that I forget what that was. Maybe that was the Good King Henry. Yeah, that was the Good King Henry. The low-growing. Yeah. yeah. But like I said, there's lots of other stuff at, at you know at the nursery. We've got you know your typical broccoli, your cauliflowers. We've got. Um, kohlrabi, we've got mustard greens, we've got snap peas, snow peas, all different kinds of lettuces. Um, sorrel is another good one. Mm-hmm. Um, your your bok choy, things like that. So there's a lot of things you can plant now. Yeah, bok choy, pak choy, joy yeah. choy. Tat soy, all of them. You know? And then, like I said, the carrots, your radishes, your beets. Um, this is a great time to get things in. The cover crops, there's all kinds of things you could do. What's eating my bok choy? This time of year, it's either going to be snails or slugs, but if it's eaten down to the ground, it's probably going to be squirrels. Oh, okay. Well, let's see. Who has squirrels? Oh, I do. Yeah. Who doesn't? Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yeah. All right. Even though I, I must admit, my dogs, even though they're rescue dogs, they're really smart dogs, and I've trained them to the point where if I say the word upstairs, if I just say squirrel, they'll run downstairs and go out the door and and head for the fence yeah. looking for the squirrels. So that's good on a temporary basis, but squirrels are smart, and they know that, hey, they're not out at night. Let's let's eat. Yep, they're crafty. Yeah, so squirrels. Well, what's the answer to that then? Row covers over the bok choy? Row covers, yeah. All right. Netting? Netting. Okay. Yeah. Uh, any sort of repellent? Mm, we sell a product called Critter Ritter. At the nursery, that's supposed to work well, but you can't use it around edibles. <laughs> okay, because who likes the taste of coyote urine? Yeah, or whatever, or cayenne pepper, and yeah, things yeah. Like that. yeah. Okay, so that's that's good. So basically, it's physical control. Physical control. Yeah. All right. Okay, uh, one of us will win. I have a feeling I know who will, but uh, we'll manage. That's why I built all these raised beds in order to build supports with hoops. There you go. If I need to cover yeah. it, I can do that. For squirrel control. Hey, look at the phones all lighting up. Five people getting here on the line to answer the musical garden grappler question, sort of. Name a conifer. All five callers get a prize, special bonus prize for caller five, because as you know, in the garden grappler, you cannot repeat an earlier answer. And to add more mystery to this whole thing, there's a secret bonus prize if you mention this one particular conifer, which a lot of people would say, that's a conifer? Yeah, yeah, it is. But somebody might say it. Somebody might not. If not, uh, uh, Quentin will get the bonus prize. That's just the way it is. All right, so we'll take a short break, and when we come back, we will get to your Garden Grappler answers, naming a conifer as we continue on Get Growing on Talk 650 KSTE. Get Growing continues with Farmer Fred. Talk 650 KSTE. Here again, Fred Hoffman. All right, we have five people lined up for the Garden Grappler and a sixth, just in case somebody falters, one through five. Name a conifer. A conifer, again, according to Quentin Young, manager of Fair Oaks Boulevard Nursery, is a cone-bearing plant, usually with needle-like or scale-like leaves, usually produces a cone. Usually. It's uh, usually evergreen. Yeah, it's usually usually evergreen. But not always. Not always. All right, so name a conifer. Because we were talking about Christmas trees. So conifers, most Christmas trees are conifers. But not necessarily. Uh, okay. <laughs> All things sold as Christmas trees yeah, are yeah, conifers. Yeah. Yeah. 
maybe we'll delve into that little mystery later on, too. All right, so let's get some answers going here. Uh, first up, it is Christine in Orangevale. Hi, Christine. Hi. So go ahead. Give us a conifer. Okay. Um, I'm thinking of uh, P. Roxburghi. It's a cheer pine, Indian longleaf pine. We'll go with that. Okay. What was the pinus? What was it? Um, Roxburghia. Roxburghia? Is that uh-huh. right? Okay, that's interesting. I, let me see where that is. Where, uh, did you find it on the on the clue for the garden grappler? No, I found it in a Western garden book. Oh, that works too, yeah. Yeah. Rox, R-O- R-O-X. R-O-X, really? Okay, I don't recall. B-U-R-G-H-I-I. Okay, Roxburghii. That's yeah. interesting. Pinus Roxburghii. Wow. Hey, you get psychic bonus points for using the botanical name. Oh. <laughs> so that... that, that uh, the Roxburghii. I have to write that down and look it up. All right. Um, Indian longleaf pine is Indian the longleaf name. pine. And as far as you know, Quentin, that would be a conifer. It's a conifer. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Indian longleaf pine. Good answer, Judith. Good job with the old Western garden book there. Great. But it's Christine. Christine. Yeah. I don't know. Oh, I see. I, I wrote on the wrong line here. Let me move an arrow up to your <laughs> name there. Okay. There we go. So Christine said... Pinus Roxburghii. So, Christine, I will be sending you the uh, from our friends at the Sacramento Tree Foundation their tree sighting guidelines, which includes a great list of trees available for our area that do well here, and more importantly, where to plant them, how far away from buildings and fences and things like that. So I'll be sending that your way. Great. Thank you. All right. Thanks, Christine. Sure. Thanks, Christine. All right. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. All right. Judith must be number two. Hi, Judith. Hi, Farmer Fred. Hi How are there. You today? I'm doing fine. So sorry to all get right. you and Christine confused. That's all right. Thanks. But go ahead, name a conifer. Pinion. Mm. Pinion yep. pine. Pinion pine. Yeah, there we go. Is that the Pinus edulis? I can't remember my my Latin botanical names. It could be. All right. Now you're going to make me look it up because. <laughs> Former teachers might be listening and yelling at their radio at this point. It is. Uh-oh. It is. Pi- pinion pine is the pinus edulis. There you go. Wow. 30-year-old memory comes through. All right. That, good job, Judith. So I'll be sending you from the Sacramento Tree Foundation their tree sighting guidelines. Thank you very much. Thank you for a good answer. Appreciate it. All right. Have a good day. You too. Thanks. Caller number three in today's Garden Grappler to name a conifer. It's Kathy in Sacramento. Hi, Kathy. Hi. How about Diodar Cedar? There you go. Theodora Cedar, Cedrus Diodora. And, uh, Quentin, what is probably the most notable feature of the Diodara Cedar? Uh, well, the weeping, weeping habit. Yeah. The and the, the cones. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Those kind of scale-like cones that sort of disintegrate. They're kind of interesting to look at. And what's nice, too, about the Diodara Cedar, it is unlike a lot of conifers um, that people might think of in terms of Christmas tree-type look. It does well here in the valley. It does well here in the valley, but it's a big tree. Yeah, it so, is a big tree. So think carefully when you're going to plant it. Yeah, it's it's a good back Where 40 tree. Where yeah. yeah. Diodar Cedar. Good answer, Kathy. I'll be sending you from the Sacramento Tree Foundation their tree sighting guidelines. Yeah, I've got a question. Go ahead. Am I the only one in town? Oh, I don't know that I am. That my daffodil bulbs from that I planted last year, I have like four to six inches of green leaf already up. You are. You're the only one. <laughs> no, I'm sure there. I, I'm sure there's others. Yeah. No, they always seem to start early. So okay. you're. So you. I don't think you're the only one. No, not at all. Good. I'm glad. Yeah. All right. 
I'm happy. Thank you. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Good job, Kathy. All right. Bye-bye. The um, interesting about daffodils, too, it's, it's one of those nice winter flowering bulbs that in our area you can leave in the ground. You don't have to dig them up every year. Yes, and they naturalize, um, and they're one of the few bulbs I find in Sacramento, unlike tulips, that actually come back year, year after year. Yeah, year and after year. Squirrel, squirrel-proof and deer-proof. Okay. Are they people-proof? Mm, depending on the people. Yeah. The, <laughs> I think the one mistake people make with daffodils is they get tired of looking at the green foliage after the bloom, so they cut the foliage back. Right, which you shouldn't do. Yeah, Right, yeah. because you need to send that energy back to the bulb. And don't, don't forget your paper whites, too. Oh, yeah, yeah paper that's, whites. That's a, good, that's a good holiday bulb as well if you want to force those for indoors. Yeah, Narcissus, uh, would you really have those indoors? Yeah. Would you? Yeah, you force kind them. Kind of an overwhelming aroma. Well, that uh, that's that's a personal thing. Some people love the smell. Some people hate it. All right. Here, here's a clue I learned the hard way or a tip about paper whites is don't leave them in a locked car because the odor then really permeates. They can be. Yeah. I mean, yeah. again, some people love it. Some people hate it. Yeah. it's it, it, That's grandma. All right. Sam in Durham up near Chico. How are you doing? <laughs> I'm doing fine. How are you? I'm doing fine. I'm gonna. I dropped my pen. I'm gonna get down and uh, pick up my pen. So while I'm doing that, you give us a conifer. Okay. Don't pull a muscle. Uh, Aleppo pine. Yeah. There you go. He just pulled a muscle. Yeah. Okay. All right. <laughs> did you say Aleppo pine? Yes, I did. Oh, that's one of my favorite pines. Well, they're really it's a, they're a fast grower, and they uh, they're sturdy, which is what's great about them. They don't they have a great root ball. One of my most impressive accomplishments in life was back in 1989 when we moved out to Harold. I wanted to plant pines along the driveway, and I planted them from seed that I bought at a seed store that doesn't exist anymore, run by Bob Mark, called Mark Seed and Supply, near the corner of Franklin and Fruit Ridge. And I still have some of those seeds left, but I planted those seeds, and now those pines, and in fact, uh, got an email just now from uh, a person who said they drove by and looked at the pines, and they said they were looking good. And um, so they're great yeah. in wind, and, and they're great for uh, outfield fences for uh, <laughs> little league ball fields and, and softball fields. There you go. Yeah, yeah and they don't they need that much water. Yeah. No. Yeah, they're not a thirsty pine. No, they're one of my favorites. The Aleppo pine, sometimes called the Calabrian pine. Uh, I want to say Pinus halepensis brutia, or Pinus halepensis, or Pinus brutia, whatever you want to call it. The Aleppo pine, uh, a good choice for our area, and. Uh, Quentin, is, is it a conifer? Yeah. Okay, I thought so, because it has pines. Yep. Good yeah, size they pines. Like, they they really like a Mediterranean climate, though. They are. I mean, they're, they're, and they're native. If you, if you look at the, pull up the map for them, it's pretty much a circle around the entire Mediterranean. Yeah. Yeah, it is. A, it's a, one of my favorites. Good answer there, Sam. I'll be sending you from the uh, Sacramento Tree Foundation their list of tree sighting guidelines, which is really basically just a list of the best trees for Sacramento, too. So, Great. Get, get some for Durham, too, would you? I think it would work up there. I'm not. Okay. I'm not too worried about Durham. Yeah, so it would. It would work. You guys can grow it. Say hi to Ken Hodge out at Hodge's Nursery for me. I'll, I'll do that. All right. Thanks for calling. Bye bye. All right. Bye-bye. All right. All right. Let's talk with uh, Tim in Carmichael. Tim, you caller five. So I tell you what. If you can name a conifer that isn't a um, Pinus roxburgii, a pinion pine, a Diodar cedar, or an Aleppo pine, I have for you. Since you live in Carmichael. The Sacramento County Master Gardener Gardening Guide and Calendar. Wonderful. I, uh, I'm looking forward to it. So uh, since I am the last caller, let's go for the biggest conifer. Uh, how about a coastal redwood or sequoia? 
Well, that's two trees, in effect. Right. I mean, in, but uh, yeah, now, okay. that, that's true. Is the, I, I forget, is the coast redwood the biggest tree, or is it the giant sequoia? Giant sequoia. Is the bigger tree. Like the All gi- right, my answer is sequoia. <laughs> it doesn't matter. That's fine. <laughs> coast redwood, sequoia giganteum, whatever you want. Uh, coast redwood is would be... Uh, yes. No, sempervirens. What is sempervirens. it? Sequoia sempervirens, right. All right. Okay. Hey, Coast Redwood, yeah, the bane of us all. We all planted too many of them here in the valley. <laughs> some look good, some don't look good. But uh, do you even carry Coast Redwoods anymore yes. at the nursery? Yeah, people request them, and the customer's always right. Yeah, even though we just try to we just try to explain to them, you know, be careful where you plant it. Mm-hmm. You know, think about where you're going to plant it, how it's going to get watered, what your soil is like, things like that. It's going to get big. It's going to get big. Yeah, at least 15 feet away from any sort of fence or house or, or sewer line sewer or line. water line or pool. And don't put it in a place where the prevailing wind will knock it over into your house. There you go. Yeah. Coast Redwood. Good answer there, Tim. So I'll be sending you the Sacramento County Master Gardening, Gardening Guide and Calendar for 2018. Fred, we appreciate it, and uh, I, I'm sure I speak for all of your listeners when uh, I say that you are the true Hoth, not that guy that was on Baywatch. <laughs> Thank you. Yes, that's me, all right. Laying on the ground eating a cheeseburger. Yeah. <laughs> all right. Thanks for Cheers, that. Fred. Thank you very much. All right. Thank you, Tim. All right. So there you go. Now, nobody got the secret bonus uh, prize for mentioning the secret uh, conifer that we were mentioning that people would be surprised to learn is a conifer, but it is one of the oldest trees around, and it just has beautiful fall color now, and it's just one of my favorite trees. I think you probably like it, too. Prehistoric yeah, tree. Yeah. And, from but it's the a conifer. Ju- yeah, from the Jurassic period, I think. I think so. Dinosaurs used to munch on it. Yeah. It's outlived all of its enemies. And that tree is? The ginkgo. The ginkgo. Yeah, ginkgo biloba. Who would have ever thought a ginkgo is a conifer? But... Uh, those little berries it produces, I guess those were pre- prehistoric cones. Yeah, and it's it's like a lot of conifers, it's wind-pollinated mm-hmm. with male and female trees. The females are messy with the nuts, so you have yeah. to be careful when you're selling them. We sell the male clones at the nursery. And then forget about it 15 years later when it reverts to female. Well, so occasionally they will sprout, um, some, some branches will sprout. Okay, is that um, how it works from wind? Yeah, sometimes. But in general, um, you can tell the females fairly early. We did have two female trees, and they were sold almost right away with customers who wanted to harvest the nuts. Yeah, well, no, it is an Asian delicacy, yeah. as you are very fond of. But they are smelly. <laughs> yes, they are. <laughs> anyway, Fair Oaks Boulevard Nursery, corner of Fair Oaks and Mission. Christmas trees coming in next week. Yes, next weekend. All right. And you've got... Uh, Call uh, if you want to book a delivery day. And you got berry vines coming in. We berry have berry bushes. vines, berry bushes, berry bushes, um, pomegranates, figs, all that stuff's coming in. All right. Yeah, good time to start planting, start thinking about your fruit trees. Roses? Uh, roses will be coming at the end of December. And Probably then. have about 600. Cool. Yeah, and again, all those I handpicked, and a lot of them were ones that I saw up at the uh, uh, Portland uh, Rose Garden. Okay. Yeah. All right. Some roses that I hadn't seen before. That's why we got some new ones, some old varieties, some old reliables. Yeah. Oh, you just piqued the interest of all the local rosarians. Yes. Now. Yeah. And I, I always listen to the um, Sacramento Rose Society on good roses for Sacramento. So, you know, I, I listen to what they actually say. Yeah. Except yeah. they change their minds every time That's they're okay. on. That's <laughs> okay. That's okay. All right. Quentin Young, always a pleasure. Thanks for coming down to the radio town. Thanks, Fred. All right. Okay. When, we, when we come back, we're taking a tour, a little preview of the Harvest Festival that's coming to Cal Expo 
next Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. That's on the way here on Get Growing on Talk 650 KSTE. You're listening to Get Growing with Farmer Fred. Talk 650 KSTE. Here again, Fred Hoffman. Coming up Friday through Sunday, November 17th through 19th at Cal Expo, it's the return of the Sacramento Harvest Festival, and it's been around quite a while. We're talking with Liz Rosinski of the Harvest Festival, and Liz, this this show is almost as old as me. Yeah, yeah. It's well, we started 45 years ago in San Francisco, so um, yeah, we're we've we've been around a while. We have shows all over California and then one in Nevada. Um, so, it, and we start our shows in, you know, the beginning of September and they go all the way through December. All right. Now, one thing that people enjoy about the Harvest Festival are all the artists and craftspeople who show up. How many are you expecting at Cal Expo? So we're expecting a little over 250 different artists, and uh, we have everything from, you know, original art, photography, blown glass, um, you know, uh, wood woodcraft, um, specialty foods, obviously. Um, so really, something for everyone. And what are some of the arts and crafts represented there? Uh, yeah, so we have, um, you know, all various types of arts and crafts. We have, you know, paintings, we have jewelry, clothing, home decor. What's very cool is about our show is that it's uh, an interactive experience. So you can actually talk to all of the artists. You can learn about their crafts. Some of the artists do demos inside their booth. Um, often you can get things personalized. So I think that what we are offering that's kind of different from, you know, the typical internet online experience is that interaction that's often missed. And you have something else too that the internet doesn't offer and that's strolling entertainment. Yeah, actually we have uh, lots of different entertainment. So we have um, John Park and his funny waiter show. He's going to be performing throughout the weekend. He does a really cool spinning plates routine and invites people up on stage. We also have music from the Fargo brothers. They're kind of like a uh, retro rock band um, and then of course our strolling entertainers like you said mama claus and eddie the elf and they do a lot of fun holiday music and so yeah definitely a, a full day of entertainment one of the sectors that is well represented at the harvest festival are all the vendors who are bringing specialty food items talk a little bit about that yeah so we have um you know a ton of different uh food and beverage folks and everything from, you know, we have um, the Brito caramel apples. They make the most incredible caramel apples you've ever seen. You have to eat them with a knife and a fork. They're huge. Um, we have dips. We have jerky. We've got, you know, toffee, uh, cookies. Everything is handmade. Um, perfect stocking stuffers, caramel. Um, we've got a wine slush vendor that's very cool. You add wine in their mix and you make wine slushies. That's a perfect party recipe. So yeah, we've got all different types of food, you know, a, a Bloody Mary mix. We have a, an almond vendor, Queen of the Valley almonds, and they have their own farm um, that they bring their almonds in from Chico. So yeah, a, a great mix of stuff. And you work with a lot of uh, local charitable groups as well. Now, I know that if people want a discount on admission, they can bring a donation for the Elk Grove Food Bank. 
Yeah, absolutely. So anyone who brings a non-perishable food donation to the event will get $2 off uh, a senior or general admission. And, uh, you know, we also work with the AT&T Pioneers. They're uh, our featured nonprofit partner. They do a lot to help out in the community in terms of, um, you know, educational programs, also after natural disasters, things like that. So they're going to be receiving half of all of the uh, proceeds of our shopping bag sales, which are just a dollar. So it's very affordable. And they're also going to be doing a gift wrap uh, station. So they'll be getting all the proceeds from that. So, you know, if you buy your gifts and you want them gift wrap, you just take them to the very front and the gift wrap station and they'll get you all set up. It's the Harvest Festival. It's the West Coast's largest indoor arts and crafts show. And the event's coming to Cal Expo next Friday through Sunday, November 17th through 19th. If you want more information, you can visit their website, harvestfestival.com. Everything's on our website, harvestfestival.com. Lots of vendors there, hundreds of artisans from across the country, including one with a very special product. They live up in Fiddletown, east of Plymouth in Amador County and they make and market a Bloody Mary mix. It's called Smokin' Mary Smoked Bloody Mary Mix. And what makes this one different? Let's find out. Lori Nadu runs the operation there with Mark. And and Lori, tell us about uh, your farm background. First of all, uh, it's kind of interesting how you got into uh, working with tomatoes. Absolutely. Um, actually, I, I grew up on a dairy in uh, Petaluma. And it's a generational dairy that's still alive and running. And um, my mom always had the biggest and best gardens. I swear, if I look back and try and remember now, I I would guess almost an acre. (laughs) I mean, it was, she always had a big garden. It wasn't an acre, but um, she always had, and her tomatoes were always the best. It didn't matter even when she was 80 and still growing her tomatoes, her tomatoes just were the best so i kind of always have had a love for gardening just because of being brought up like that and uh it's it's definitely carried on with all of us but petaluma isn't the full story because you went to utah afterwards and all of a sudden somebody gave you more tomatoes than they knew what to do with yes actually um yeah my husband and i we met in utah and uh, we lived in Park City, and I had some friends uh, that had a relative with some big production greenhouses in uh, southern Utah, and they needed help getting rid of them. So we brought them to the farmer's market, and we had tomatoes before anybody else did. And once uh, everybody started coming on, we had a surplus of tomatoes. I mean, we had so many tomatoes, you could never even imagine how many we had. It was that many, and um, we didn't know what to do with them outside of canning, you know, spaghetti sauce and salsas and all those things. But it was definitely an adventure that started there. And I was asking one of the neighbors that had popped over, I said, what in the world am I going to do with all these tomatoes? I had them in all of my neighbor's freezers because I had no room for them. And he said, well, why don't you make a Bloody Mary mix? So from that point, I got on Google and I looked up a recipe to make Bloody Marys and there were four ingredients. And from that point, I opened up my spice cabinet and started throwing in a whole bunch of different things to get it right. Well, then that led to, I said, well, hey, maybe I should smoke these tomatoes because I did that with my salsa and I really like the flavor. And that's how 
you know, five years later, 16 revisions later, Smoke and Mary went to market because it had gone from four ingredients to 16 main ingredients. And that's kind of how she was born. One thing I really enjoy about your website, smokeandmary.com, is all the recipes that you have on there. You want to share one of your recipes with us? Absolutely. I would, let's see, we've got 30, 36 of them now. My husband's a, a gourmet cook, so he puts it in all kinds of dishes. Um, I really like the upside down pizza pot pie, and it's super simple. You take a, a soup dish and you line it with cheese, and it has to be sliced cheese. Line it with cheese, and then you put whatever toppings you want inside that bowl, and then you pour the mix over the top. You put a pizza crust or pizza pie, whatever you want as your crust, put that on top. Bake it in the oven, and when it's golden brown, you take it out, and you let it sit for about five minutes. Put a dinner plate over the top, flip it upside down, and all the cheese just melts all over all the toppings in the sauce. And it is the most fantastic treat. I absolutely love that dish. And what temperature is the oven at? Oh boy, I would guess 350. That's that's what it's it's on the website cuz you know, we've got all kinds of different little the measurements for the sauce, but it it is literally that easy to make. All right. It's Smokin' Mary's Smoked Bloody Mary Mix and Lori, you're going to be at the Harvest Festival, right? You bet I am. The Sacramento Harvest Festival coming to Cal Expo November 17th through the 19th, where you can find hundreds of artisans displaying their wares, including Lori Nadu of Smokin' Mary's Smoked Bloody Mary Mix. Lori, pleasure talking with you. Well, thank you so much, Fred. You have a wonderful, t- wonderful day. And yes, definitely come see me at the Harvest Festivals. I'll be wearing my usual polka dot dress. So I'm not, not too easy to miss <laughs> and very easy to find. And again, if you want more information about next weekend's Harvest Festival in Sacramento, visit their website, harvestfestival.com. You're listening to Get Growing on Talk 650 KSTE. Get Growing continues with Farmer Fred. Talk 650 KSTE. Here again, Fred Hoffman. All right, let's look at the uh, garden events uh, for the coming week. Yes, the season is changing in cooler weather, but there's still plenty of events going on, most of them indoors. For example, the Master Food Preserver Volunteer Training Program is accepting applications uh, here in Sacramento County for Sac County residents. And they have a series of classes. Beginning in February, that'll run through May, so you can become a Master Food Preserver. If you want to learn more, you can visit the Master Food Preserver website. And it's uh, part of a cooperative extension here in Sacramento County. If you just do an Internet search of the phrase Master Food Preserver Sacramento County, you can get more information about their upcoming training classes. If you'd like to talk to someone in person about it, well, coming up this Thursday at 6.15 p.m., They'll be at the Elk Grove Library to offer more information about their Master Food Preserver program. The Elk Grove Library, 8900 Elk Grove Boulevard in Elk Grove. Again, that's Thursday, November 16th, 6.15 p.m. More info about uh, those MFP classes, as they like to say. Next Saturday, you can take a walk through the Old City Cemetery. They have a final Rose Garden tour for the year featuring the fall color that's there. You can join uh, Anita Clevenger for Fall Color in the Rose Garden. 
Enjoy late blooms, brilliant foliage, a variety of colorful rose hips, all in the Pioneer Garden Cemetery. And uh, there's some good stories about behind those roses, too. You'll probably hear some of those. The Sacramento Historic City Cemetery is a place where gardens grace graves, time stands still, and history lives. And that will happen next Saturday, 10 a.m. What's the weather going to be next Saturday? Let's take a look. I'm always curious about next weekend's weather. And next weekend, Saturday, a slight chance of rain. It is weasel weather season, so since Friday is sunny, um, maybe that rain won't materialize Saturday. A slight chance of rain next Saturday. By the way, speaking of weather, uh, for the week, partly sunny today, 65. Monday for Sacramento, showers likely, 63. Tuesday, mostly sunny, 63. Wednesday, chance of showers with a high of 57. Thursday, partly cloudy with a low of 41. Excuse me, Thursday is a chance of showers again. And then partly sunny in the afternoon. Then Friday is sunny. So the only ones the National Weather Service is fully confident about as far as sunny skies go, Tuesday and Friday. We are in weasel weather season where these weaselly forecasts can change on a dime. So just accept the fact it's mid-November and these things happen. Looking at the overnight low temperatures, I always keep my eye open when I'm looking at the seven-day forecast for any temperatures that fall into the 30s. And that is not true for Sacramento, where the overnight low Thursday night and Friday night will dip down to 41. However, weasel weather season, that could change too. And uh, just be on the guard for frost warnings because it's not uncommon for the Sacramento area to get its first frost of the season, third or fourth week of uh, November. And then it's kind of a regular occurrence, not unexpected through December and January. And usually by mid-February, it's tapered off as far as the chances of temperatures falling down to 32 or below. And it's the extended frosts that are the most damaging. When temperatures dip down to 28 degrees or less and stay that way for four hours or more, that's known as a killing freeze. That's a freeze. That's not even a frost. That's a freeze. When temperatures dip down to 32 degrees for a very short period of time, that's usually considered a frost. Between 28 and 32 could be considered a hard frost. Again, it depends how many hours plants are subjected to those temperatures. But below 28 is when plant damage can happen. And if temperatures drop below 26, that's when it's more than just plant damage. It could be plant death for your uh, thin-skinned plants or your young citrus trees if they are susceptible to a frost. But like I say, for the next week or so, Temperatures will remain above 40, it looks like, for the Sacramento area. Now, where you are, it might be a little colder. You know your weather better than I do. All gardening is local. All right. Uh, So anyway, that uh, Rose Garden Walk, Saturday, next Saturday, 10 a.m. at the Old City Cemetery at 10th and Broadway. It is free. Up in Placerville, the Master Gardeners of El Dorado County, excuse me, the Master Food Preservers of El Dorado County have a class on making delightful, delicious, and decidedly unique gifts from your homemade jams or thumbprint cookies or whatever, and uh, how to package them in a delightful container with style to make your gifts memorable. Canned tomatoes, dehydrated peaches, we'll explore enough sweet and savory, delicious ideas to fill a sleigh, it says here. The event is free. It's at the... Uh, Bethel Delfino Ag Building at 311 Fair Lane in Placerville. Very nice facility. And that is uh, next Saturday from 9 until noon. 
put on, put on by the master food preservers of El Dorado County. Next Saturday, there'll be a basic composting workshop put on by the Sacramento County Master Gardeners at the Arden Library at 891 Watt Avenue in Sacramento. They'll teach you how to turn yard waste into gardener's gold. It's a free class, 2 to 3 o'clock next Saturday there at the library at 891 Watt Avenue. Over in Napa, the Master Gardeners have a class on fruit tree selection and planting. That workshop will be next Saturday from 930 to 1130 at the Cooperative Extension Meeting Room at 1710 Soskill Avenue in Napa. There is a charge of $5 per person for that workshop. Next Saturday, a winter fruit tree pruning demo put on by the Stockton Master Gardeners down in San Joaquin County. San Joaquin County Master Gardeners will be at the Stockton Emergency Food Bank Garden at 7 West Scotts Avenue in Stockton to tell you all about winter fruit tree pruning and to give you a demonstration next Saturday, 10 a.m. I do believe that is free. Don't forget, gardening guides and calendars produced by local Master Gardener groups are available probably at a nursery near you. For instance, the Sacramento County 2018 Gardening Guide and Calendar, produced by the Sacramento County Master Gardeners, a beautiful full-color multi-page garden with all sorts of great garden advice, as well as a lot of space to write down what you do in the garden. These calendars are available at East Sacramento Hardware on Folsom Boulevard, Alberta Feed Pet and Tack on Rio Linda Boulevard, Amy Hardware on El Camino Boulevard, Fair Oaks Boulevard Nursery there at Fair Oaks and Mission. The uh, three Sacramento-based Green Acres locations, Elk Grove, Folsom, and Sacramento. The Plant Foundry at 3500 Broadway and Tolini's Nursery at 5601 Folsom Boulevard. The other two Green Acres nurseries in Roseville and Rockland, along with other uh, Foothill nurseries, have the Placer County Master Gardeners 2018 Calendar and Gardening Guide. And so you can find that at nurseries in Oh, El Dorado, Placer, Nevada, Amador counties, plus the Master Gardeners of Placer County will be selling them at the Auburn, uh, excuse me, the Mountain Mandarin Festival, 17th through the 19th. That would be next weekend, too. Yeah, Mandarin Festival time already. How about that? So that's um, next Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. So good gifts for the gardeners on your holiday shopping list. The, the uh, Placer County 2018 Calendar and Gardening Guide for the Foothill Dwellers and for Valley Dwellers, the 2018 Gardening Guide and Calendar from the Sacramento County Master Gardeners. All right. Sacramento County Master Gardener uh, Guide, too, available online from the uh, Master Gardeners website. Uh, Just basically do an Internet search of the phrase Sacramento County Master Gardeners, and you can get more information about that right then and there. I do believe it's time for the KSTE Farm Hour. Is, would that be right, Brooks? We're set, ready to go? I hope so. <laughs> it's one of my favorite programs. Uh, we're going to be talking about thousands of California fields or California farmers who have fields located near schools. They're facing new pesticide spraying regulations come January. We've got the details about how close they can be spraying near a school and when they can spray near a school, and uh, there are a lot of restrictions on there. And also, we're going to talk about um, some of that farmland near Cortland that might get usurped in the Delta Tunnels project that may become unavailable for farming for a couple of decades. We'll see about that. A lot of other great reports, too, crop reports as well. We have a chat with several area farmers, too, and we take a look at uh, USDA Secretary Purdue's visit to Modesto last Sunday. 
coming up on the KSDE Farm Hour. Thank you for listening to this program. Get growing. I appreciate it. We'll do it again next Sunday, 10 o'clock. Bye-bye.